0: Hi, everyone. This is Nurse Mo. Welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. I am thrilled that you are here and joining me today for episode 146, which is about low risk, the general normal things that happen in a low risk labor and delivery. Before we dive into that, I do want to take a quick minute for our listener shout out. So these listener shout outs go out to those of you that review the podcast or the other things that we do. So this one goes out to the K life who wrote this. Thank you, Nurse Mo. I love that this podcast is geared towards nursing students, but is beneficial to all nurses. I've been a pediatric float pool RN for about four years, but I'm making the jump over to adult and pediatric float pool this month with the emphasis on adults. I haven't had an adult patient since nursing school, and I am so lucky to have found your podcast. Your episodes are so clear and informative. It has helped me tremendously in brushing up on my adult diagnoses, medications, treatments, etc. I have been binge listening to a lot of your episodes the last couple weeks, and I will continue to be a devout listener. I feel so much more calm and prepared to jump into my orientation shifts this week. Thanks again. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to write that amazing review. And I'm so happy that you find the podcast helpful. So if you guys want to be on the listener shout out, simply review the podcast. And if you're not getting it every Thursday morning, like clockwork, it's only because you haven't subscribed yet. So make sure you go and you hit that subscribe button. Okay, you guys. So looking at low risk labor and delivery, we're going to be talking about the normal physiological mechanisms of a standard labor and delivery with zero complications. So it's really important that you understand what's normally supposed to happen, so that you can recognize when something abnormal is happening. So before you dive into I know you're probably way more interested in the abnormals, the pathophysiology, the high risk, the critical care, all of that, but you got to learn what's normal first. So let's first talk about the signs that a woman is in labor. So labor usually begins Between that 38th and 42nd week of gestation, some early signs include the baby dropping down into the pelvic inlet. And this is referred to as engagement. That's a key term, engagement. And when this happens, the uterus moves downward a bit and the fundus doesn't press into the diaphragm as much as it had been. And mom can breathe more easily. And She's going to need to be able to take nice deep breaths in order to get through labor. So this makes perfect sense. This is also the time when mom will experience those sporadic Braxton Hicks contractions and the cervix ripens, meaning it becomes soft, and mom will lose her blood-tinged mucus plug, typically about 24 to 48 hours prior to official labor onset. Now, some other signs can be a sudden burst of energy in the day or two prior to labor, increased backache, GI upset, and sacroiliac pressure. So one of the questions that's going to come up on your exams is how do you differentiate between true labor and false labor? So again, these are generalizations. If you had a different experience, it doesn't mean that yours wasn't normal. It's just these are just kind of like the general signs of true labor versus false labor. And again, just note that it can be very individualized for the person. But In a general sense, true labor, contractions produce progressive dilation and effacement. The pain of the contractions usually starts in the back and radiates to the abdomen. That could be a little bit different, you know, based on mom. The pain is not relieved by ambulation or resting, and the contractions occur regularly. They increase in frequency, duration, and intensity. Okay, so that's true labor. False labor, there's no progression of that dilation or effacement. The contractions are irregular and are perceived as a hardening or a balling up without significant discomfort or that discomfort, if it is felt, is mainly felt in the lower abdomen and even in the groin. And the pain of these false labor contractions can be relieved by walking, changing position, resting, even taking a hot bath or shower. So those are some of the common um, ways to differentiate between true labor versus false labor. So now let's talk about what happens to mom's physiology during labor. And this is so interesting, you guys. So when the uterus contracts, the blood within that organ Think about it. It's contracting. So it's going to kind of squeeze down, right? So the blood within the uterus, within the organ, is returned to systemic circulation. And this increases preload, increases cardiac output. Cardiac output's also going to go up because of increases in heart rate and stroke volume. So what do you think happens to mom's blood pressure in labor? it definitely increases. And one of the things that you would be watching for are significant increases that could indicate preeclampsia. So you definitely are watching mom's blood pressure, but it's normal for it to go up a bit. And then it's also important to note that it can also drop if mom is positioned so that she's compressing the vena cava. So just be very, very aware of that. Other things that happen to mom's physiology are tachypnea. Tachypnea is really, really common, that increased respiratory rate as mom's body works really hard to meet that increased oxygen demands. And just note that prolonged tachypnea can lead to respiratory alkalosis, which is basically mom's blowing off all her carbon dioxide. So evidence does show that opioids can be somewhat helpful. They decrease some of the pain. So the tachypnea um, isn't as evident. Mom's not struggling so hard. Also, The use of epidural anesthesia has been shown to be the most effective for preventing respiratory alkalosis, but mom definitely will have increased oxygen demands because she's working out. When you work out, you breathe faster, you breathe deeper, mom is going to do the same. If the pain is overwhelming and mom gets kind of into that panic mode and is really, really hyperventilating, then we're looking at a very high risk for respiratory alkalosis. We can also have fluid and electrolyte imbalances. This can occur due to excessive sweating. So think about mom hustling, working out, working really hard, excessive sweating, and that hyperventilation as well. Again, hyperventilation can lead to respiratory alkalosis, and respiratory alkalosis can lead to hypocalcemia and hypokalemia. Urine output increases as cardiac output increases. So you're going to see an increased GFR on your renal panel, and you're going to see mom having increased urine output. Gastric emptying is slower during labor, and this is exacerbated by opioid use. So this can lead to mom having higher gastric volumes during this time, which can be really troublesome if an emergent surgery emergency intubation is needed. The white blood cell counts can go up significantly and blood glucose can decrease because mom's using all that glucose as a source of energy. So what happens to baby's physiology during labor? So we'll talk more about baby physiology, especially when we get into fetal heart rate monitoring and complicated labors and deliveries. Um, in general, the fetal heart rate will change due to the stress of labor, additionally, inadequate blood flow And, you know, how mom is positioned can affect baby's heart rate. Again, we'll talk about fetal heart rate monitoring in another uh, podcast episode completely. And... Just know that if the fetus is under stress, if baby's under stress, such as if there's low oxygen levels present, or mom has an infection, then what can happen is baby can take in in utero these forceful breaths, and that can cause them to aspirate meconium. And we'll also talk about meconium aspiration syndrome in another episode as well. Today, we're just talking about the normals, okay? So speaking of the normals, Let's talk about the six P's of labor. Okay, so these are passenger, passageway, power, position, placenta, and psyche. Okay, so let's dive into each of these as it pertains to a normal, uncomplicated, low risk labor and delivery process. So the first one, passenger, this refers to the fetus, our passenger. He's getting from point A to point B. He's traveling. He's our passenger. And this refers to the size and the position of the fetus and also the number of passengers if there's more than one. So we look at um, baby's skull diameter in relation to his position. We look at the pelvic inlet size and compare that to the diameter of baby's head. It's important here to note that if baby's in the normal position, which he is today, because that's what we're talking about, the fetal skull diameter is much smaller than if he is in an abnormal position. So I'll link in the show notes to an image that illustrates this very, very well. Also, it's important to note that baby's little skull bones can overlap a bit up to like 0.5 to one centimeter, which allow for that skull, that head to be kind of molded to that pelvic inlet, that pelvic size for delivery. And you can typically feel this occurring like when you're doing your newborn assessment towards the back of the head, you might feel a little ridge there. Fetal attitude refers to the relation of baby's body parts one to another. So the the normal fetal attitude is called general flexion. So in this attitude or this position, baby's head is flexed. So his little chin is on his little chest with his little legs flexed at the knees and thighs. Okay, so think about that normal uh, position, general flexion, head is flexed. So chin is on chest with knees uh, and thighs kind of pulled in. Changes in fetal attitude cause little guy to present with larger diameters of his head presenting to the pelvis. Okay, so today we're talking about normals. We're in a normal position, normal fetal attitude, that general flexion position. And then we're looking at our presentation. So the most common presentation is called the vertex or the flexed presentation, where the occiput is the presenting part. And the fetal head is completely flexed onto his chest. This puts that smallest diameter of the head presenting to mom's pelvis, and that's at about 9.5 centimeters. Okay, so um, again, if you use that link I provided, you can see how much larger the centimeter size of the skull is in other positions. So uh, it can go up to almost 14 centimeters. So you can see how 9.5 centimeters is one thing to deal with. Can you imagine trying to deal with 13 and a half or 14 centimeters? Like that's a vast difference. Fetal lie refers to the relationship of the long axis. So spine of the fetus, okay, the long axis to the long axis of mom. And this can be transverse or longitudinal. And longitudinal is what is present in an uncomplicated labor in a transverse axis, that would be the baby basically lying sideways in relation to mom. But if both mom and baby spines are up and down longitudinal, that's what's present in a normal low risk, uncomplicated labor and delivery. And then station refers to the relationship of the presenting part to this imaginary line drawn between the ischial spines of the maternal pelvis. So in a normal pelvis, the space between the ischial spines is that narrowest diameter, and that's designated as zero station. Okay, so you'll hear that term used a lot. So in general, that fetal position refers to the relationship of the landmark of the presenting fetal part to the anterior posterior or sides of the maternal pelvis, recall that the occiput, again, is the landmark in that flexed position, that vertex position. And this will come into much greater importance when you start learning about all the abnormal fetal positions and presentations. But again, we're just learning the basics, our solid background of a normal uncomplicated labor and delivery. So that was the passenger. Let's now talk about the second P, which is passage way. So the main concept here is that the bony boundaries of the pelvis are absolute. The baby is either going to fit through the pelvis or he's not going to fit. Mom's pelvis size is not going to change. Now that baby skull, you know, that can overlap just a little bit. And of course, if baby's coming through that birth canal in that normal position, then the Diameter of a skull is going to be presenting at the smallest part. Um, Those things would obviously change if baby was in a different position. But mom's pelvis, that is a bony structure. It is absolute. The passageway is comprised of, again, that bony pelvis and the soft tissue, which is the lower uterine segment, the cervix, vagina, and perineum. There are four different types of bony pelvis. So this will be really helpful when you can look at them visually. So your textbook most likely has images of this. So that gynecoid type is the most common. About 50% or so of women have this type of pelvis. The general shape is round and shallow and is the most favored shape for an uncomplicated delivery. The anthropoid shape is about 24% of ladies have this shape or so this pelvis is narrow. It's deep think of an egg shape labor could be longer for a mom with a um, anthropoid pelvis versus a mom with a gynecoid pelvis shape. The android pelvis shape Around 23% have this shape, and this is more the shape of a male pelvis. It's more narrow than the gynecoid shape. Labor may be longer and more difficult. So, women with this shape may be at higher risk of having to need a C section. And then the patapaloid shape, pretty rare, about 3%. This pelvis shape is wide and shallow. Think of an egg that's lying sideways. Note that with this pelvis type, the baby is often delivered face up, which would put that presenting, um, you know, that skull diameter much larger. And many women with this pelvis shape will have a C-section as well. And then we have the pelvic floor muscles, which draw the rectum and the vagina upward and forward with every contraction. Additionally, the perineal thickness decreases, making these tissues more pliable. However, they can tear during childbirth with the severity of the tear based on how much it extends into the lining of the anus or the rectum. Okay, so that is the passageway. And then the third P is power, the physiological forces of labor. So the primary forces of labor are the involuntary uterine contractions with that upper portion being that contractile segment. And the secondary forces are present when mom is using her abdominal muscles and bearing down to push out the fetus. Effacement is the drawing up of the internal os and the cervical canal into the uterine sidewall. So essentially, the cervix changes from this long, thick structure to a stretched, thin structure. Dilation, another term you'll hear, simply means that the cervix itself is open. So the fetus can pass through in first time moms effacement will typically precede dilation. And when the cervix is completely dilated, it's measured in centimeters, it's at about 10 centimeters when it's completely dilated. Okay, so that's power, we have the physiological forces of labor. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. Position and this relates to mom's position. So, the most commonly used position for labor and delivery, at least here in the United States, is the lithotomy position, namely, due to the fact that moms will have continuous fetal monitoring in place. They've maybe gotten some opioids or epidural, making position changes difficult or maybe not completely safe for her. That lithotomy position is mom on her back with her feet up. However, there are other positions utilized and these include some upright positions include like standing or squatting, kneeling, sitting on a birthing seat hands and knees. Those are considered more upright positions. Benefits include gravity is at play and there's less risk of compressing the aorta. So without that compression of the aorta, mom's blood pressure stays up, oxygen delivery stays up, and that's all good things. It's also thought that the upright positions enable the uterus to contract more strongly and facilitate optimal fetal position. We also have recumbent and semi-recumbent positions, including supine position, again and that lithotomy position would be considered a recumbent or semi-recumbent position. And then we have lateral position, basically mom lying on her side. And then the... F- fifth P is placenta. So in a normal, uncomplicated labor and delivery, the placenta detaches from the uterine wall and is expelled within a few minutes to an hour, probably most common, I think is, you know, within like 30 minutes after delivery. And then the sixth P is psyche. It's important to understand the role of psychology of birth, especially um, mom, you know, mom psychology, this includes her anxiety or her fear about the birthing process, if she has anxiety and fear about it, her knowledge of labor and delivery, her trust in her medical team, as well as her beliefs, her culture. It's also affected, of course, by mom's support person, uh, whether or not mom has a doula present, and it's also affected by her healthcare providers and their practices. Okay, so we've gone through the six P's of labor. Let's dive into the stages of labor and talk about those a bit. So in the first stage of labor, there's three substages here. Okay, so the first stage of labor has three substages. Overall, this first stage of labor involves effacement and dilation. And we talked about those just a moment ago briefly. This typically lasts about 12 hours for first timers, but is quicker for subsequent births. It could be about seven to eight hours in that case. So again, we've got three substages here. We have the latent phase the active phase, and the transition phase. So the latent phase, also called early labor, this stage begins at the onset of those regular contractions, which increase in frequency, they increase in duration, and they increase in intensity, mild contractions last 30 to 45 seconds and occur you know, it's a pretty big range, five to 30 minutes apart. Mom's able to rest or sleep during this time. The cervix opens up to about three to four centimeters. For prima gravadas, this is about six hours. So first timers, it takes about six hours for this early labor stage. For moms that have been there, done that, Typically, four hours is pretty standard. With all contractions, you are assessing for regularity. You're assessing for, you know, are they regular or irregularity, the frequency of them, how long they last, and how intense they are. As you palpate the fundus during a contraction, so here's a great little tip for you guys. A mild contraction, we're talking about intensity of the contraction. If you press on your cheek, that's what the fundus would feel like. A moderate contraction is about as firm as pressing on the end of your nose. So that cartilage there on the end of your nose. And then an intense or a strong contraction would feel more like you're touching your forehead. So that's a good, like easy way to be able to quickly differentiate uh, mild, um, moderate, or strong or intense. Okay, strong, intense, same thing. All right, so we have that early labor stage, that latent phase. Now we're going to go into the active phase, which we're still in the first stage of labor. This is just that second subpart of the labor. And in the active phase, maternal anxiety is going to start increasing in this stage as those contractions intensify in duration and frequency. Typically, every three to five minutes lasting about 60 seconds in duration. Now the cervix is Continuing to dilate during this time, it's going from about four up to seven centimeters as that fetal descent progresses. During this time, again, mom's anxious. She's probably getting a lot more restless, getting uncomfortable. First timers can expect this to last about three hours, whereas experienced birth givers can expect to get through this phase in about two hours. Okay, And then here is where the rubber meets the road, the transition phase. Phase is the third subphase of that first stage of labor. And this is where significant anxiety occurs. The contractions become more frequent longer and much, much more intense. So they occur about every two to three minutes. They last 45 to 90 seconds. Mom's not getting a lot of rest in between. The cervix opens to that 10 centimeters during this time. Mom could be really nauseous. She could have difficulty concentrating as the contractions become increasingly intense. She could be agitated. She could become very fearful. She's going to be very irritated, most likely. She will have that urge to to push and feel increased rectal pressure. This is the most difficult part of labor and last um, 25, you know, 20 to 40-ish minutes or so. Then we get to the second stage of labor. This stage begins with mom being fully dilated and it will continue until the baby is born. So in a first-time mom, this can take, you know, 30 minutes to a couple of hours while moms that have done this before Could have a shorter stage here, five to 30 minutes, so significantly shorter. Mom is actively pushing during this time. And this is, you know, let's say you're a first time mom and you just got through that that transition phase, which knocked your socks off. And now you're in the second stage for two hours of pushing. Can you imagine how exhausted she's got to be at this time? Then we get to the third stage of labor, and that involves delivery of the placenta. So this generally takes five to 30 minutes, could be up to an hour, but in general, five to 30 minutes. Important things to note are if the shiny side of the placenta emerges first, this is referred to as Schultz presentation. And if the more dull side emerges first, this is called Duncan presentation. That could be an interesting test question. We'll see. And then the fourth stage of labor is essentially the recovery period and lasts from the moment of delivery through the time mom's vital signs are stabilized. So, at this time, mom is still at risk for hemorrhage, so you're definitely watching for that. You're monitoring her closely for about 2ish hours. It's a great time to do that skin-to-skin with the new baby. If mom isn't able to participate, then dad can do skin-to-skin. It's really good for the for everyone involved. So, let's just briefly recap the stages of labor again. So, first stage of labor has 3 Phases, latent phase, also called early labor. This starts at the onset of regular contractions and lasts until that cervix is about three to four centimeters, okay? Active phase, this is where maternal anxiety is increasing. The cervix is dilating from four to seven and baby is progressing downward, transition phase that's the intense stage of labor we're getting to full dilation to the 10 centimeters mom's restless agitated um, maybe feeling fearful and having that urge to push then the second stage of labor is full dilation That's where we start and we end with the baby being born. This can take, you know, five minutes with a experienced mom up to a couple hours with the first timer. Mom's actively pushing during this time. The third stage involves the delivery of the placenta. And the fourth stage is that recovery period. So there you go, you guys, that is your brief overview of just a normal, uncomplicated, low risk, labor and delivery. So next week, let's see what we're talking about next week, we are going to be diving into communication and talking about SBAR. SBAR is a communication format used a lot when we are conveying critical information about our patients. Like say, we need to let somebody know that our patients taken a term for the worse. We're going to use SBAR to do that. We're going to use SBAR when we give end of shift reports. So we'll be talking about SBAR communication next week. So I'll see you back here. Same time, same place. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing.